When I say the name Michael Vick, most of you will probably think one of two things. Some of you probably thought football player, and I'm guessing more of you thought dirty dog fighter. And some of you are going, who is Michael Vick? Um, If you don't remember, Michael Vick was a professional football player for the Atlanta Falcons who got arrested and thrown in jail in 2007 for fighting and abusing dogs. If you watched TV back then, you would have thought that he was a murderer. The, the media and just people in general just hated Michael Vick for what he did to these dogs. But if you, if you stop for a second and think about what it must have been like from his perspective, if you put yourself in his shoes, I imagine that the things going through his head were, what have I done? I've really messed up my life, and I may, may never play football again. And worst of all, he was probably thinking, I'm a failure. And he's not the only person who's ever had that thought. I think that dealing with failure, dealing with things that we do that we wish we didn't, or things that we didn't do that we wanted to do when it really counted, dealing with failure is part of life for us. And I know I've certainly had my fair share of things that I've done that I'm not proud of, and I've at times felt like a failure. But we all fail sometimes. We all do things that we rather, or we wish that we we hadn't. We find ourselves thinking things like, man, I've really done it this time. If it gets, you know, and and depending on the severity of it, you may may think, well, am I ever going to amount to anything? Am I going to just carry this failure with me for the rest of my life? Sometimes as we feel the weight of what we've done, the guilt and the shame that comes with it is almost like a blanket that we begin to just wrap up in and kind of it becomes the, the thing that, that we just, I don't know, it, it just stays with us and we, don't, we aren't able to shed it. And, and I think what, I, what is more important than the fact that we do fail. And what is more important than our failures is what we do after that. What do we do with our failure when we fail? And that's the question I want to wrestle with this morning is, what do we do when we fail? What should we do when we fail? What do we do when life doesn't go as planned and we make mistakes and we drop the ball? And we're going to look at the life of Simon Peter. We're going to see in three different passages, we're going to kind of see how he failed and what he did and, and, and what happened in his life. And before we read those texts, I want to remind you a little bit about some of the key moments in Peter's life. Um, so Simon Peter, Simon was his name before he was a, a follower of, of Jesus. Simon began following Christ when his brother Andrew brought him to Jesus. And shortly thereafter, Jesus renamed him Cephas, or Peter. 
And those are the Aramaic and Greek words for rock. And the reason why Jesus named him that is because later he would say to him, you are Peter, you are Petros, rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus didn't say that to the other disciples. This was a unique thing that he said to Peter. And so those are, those are just so, kind of some of the beginnings of, of his relationship with Jesus. And then today we're going to begin our time in John 13. So if you have a Bible, or if you, if you didn't bring one with you, there should be one there in the back of the pew in front of you. Turn to John 13, and we're going to be in verses 33 through 38. And as you're turning there, I'll just let you know where we are in the, in the story, in this gospel So Jesus is eating the Last Supper with the disciples. He's washed their feet. He's foretold of Judas' betrayal. And then we'll we'll read an interaction that he and Peter have momentarily. But let's pray before we read that. Father, we do come before you this morning. As we open your word, we come expectingly. We come knowing that you desire to meet with us. You desire to share who you are with us. God, I just, I, I pray, as I, as I often do, that this would not just be an intellectual exercise, that this would not just be a time where we learn something new or learn, learn something or remind ourselves of something we already knew, but most importantly, Lord, I pray that this is a time when we meet with you, that we encounter you. I pray that as we read your your scriptures, that you would use them to, to shine light into our hearts, to show us the places where we are full of doubt or full of fear or just struggling, Lord, and, and that in your mercy and grace you would, you would shine your truth and shine your love into those places. So, Lord, would you use this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John 13. I'm going to read verse 33, and then we'll skip down to verse 36. Verse 33 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus explains to the disciples here that he is about to depart to a place that they can't come. And Peter is confused, and I'm guessing he's probably not the only one who was confused. But he's not the shy type. He's not the one who thinks before he speaks. He often does the opposite. And that's why I can identify with him and appreciate him, because I have that same problem. I share a foot-shaped mouth. But uh, So he asks, he's like, well, why can't I go with you? And then he makes this statement in verse 37. I will lay down my life for you. And it's interesting what Jesus' response is in 38. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus doesn't actually say that he won't lay down his life for him, but he adds this other part. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. See, what Jesus knows that Peter doesn't know is that Peter thinks that his faith is greater than it is. He thinks that his friendship on his end with Christ is deeper than it really is. He thinks that his ability to come through from there on going into the future is much stronger than it really is. But Jesus knows that Peter is weak and he knows that he will fail and he will drop the ball and he won't come through. And so he tells him that. So really what's going on here is Peter is underestimating his ability to fail. And if you think about it, he really is over-promising his friendship or his faithfulness to Jesus. And you and I are a lot like Peter. We think that our devotion and our faithfulness to Christ is really, really strong, and then there are times when it's revealed that it's not quite as strong as we thought. And we underestimate, like Peter did, we underestimate our ability to fail. And if you're following along on the, on the outline on the back of the bulletin, that would be the first point. We just, we underestimate our ability to fail. We are people who think that our faithfulness is stronger than it is. We think things like, I would never do that. We think that there are certain things, certain sins, or you know, certain, certain behaviors that are beyond our ability. And I think what I notice when, when I look at, at this interaction with Peter and, and Jesus, Peter meant well. And I think we mean well, too. I think he wanted to come through for Christ, and so do we. You know, Peter didn't want to let Jesus down. We don't want to let Jesus down. When it comes to others, we don't want to let them down. And we certainly don't want to let ourselves down. But the problem below all of that, the reason why we underestimate our ability to fail is because we are not as in tune with our own depravity, our own sinfulness, as we should be. We're a lot more capable of gross things than we think. And sometimes that we see the reality of that, but we're quick to forget our, our, our failures. You know, we come to church and we sing songs, we sing lines like, prone to wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But then we go back into our lives and we think, and we may even say, oh, I would never do that. But that's a dangerous place to live. I love this quote from from, uh, Paul David Tripp. He says this, Sin turns you into a wanderer, Grace enables you to be a follower. And this is the part that I think is really good. He says, you'll need that grace as long as sin's wandering instincts remain. And the reality is, is that no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, no matter how much of a portfolio of faith and faithfulness to him we have, that instinct of sin, that nature does not disappear this side of eternity. 
And so we're going to be prone to wander. We're going to be prone to fail. And we need to just be in touch with that so that we don't think that we are safe. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he, is stand, that he stands take heed lest he fall. And the lesson that he's, that he's basically saying is watch out. Don't ever think that you are safe because you are more capable of things that you never would imagine. So, like Peter, we underestimate our ability to fail. Next, we're going to be in Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. So, if you want to flip back to Matthew's gospel, we'll look at a couple verses there. So, in this, in this part of Matthew's gospel, Judas has already betrayed Jesus And Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then they have the, you know, little altercation where Peter tries to stop it and chops off the ear of one of the soldiers. And so on the heels of that, they are now, Jesus is before the high priest and Peter is in the courtyard of the high priest with some other people. And so Matthew 26, 69 says this, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are... Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Not a surprise, but Jesus was right. Just like he had predicted, Peter sat outside in the courtyard of the high priest and denied Jesus three times. If you look at verse 75 again, it says, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I just, when I read this, I try to, with as much as I can, I try to just picture what it must have been like to be Peter when that rooster crowed. And it was like, immediately he had to think back to that, that saying of Jesus. And like it says here, that he remembered it. And then his response was to go out. He couldn't even stay around those people. He had to leave because he was just overcome with grief. And he, and he just wept. I think the sound that was that he audibly heard was that rooster, but the sound that was playing in his head was Jesus' words. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Imagine Peter's just overcome with grief, overcome with guilt and shame, and, and thinking things like, how could I deny my rabbi, my Lord, my Messiah? I can't believe I did that. I'm a liar. I'm a failure. 
In Peter's big moment with three seconds left in the fourth quarter, he dropped the pass that would have won the game. In his moment to shine, in his moment to step up for Jesus and prove that he is faithful, that he is his friend, he failed, and he failed miserably. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself in a moment where the bottom dropped out and you just, you just see yourself as you truly are? You see yourself in, in, a, in a moment where you thought you were here, but you're really here. You thought that you were faithful, but you were faithless. You thought that you were true, but you weren't. You thought that you would come through, and you didn't. Maybe it's, God forbid, faithfulness to your spouse that you pledged that you didn't keep. Maybe it's a promise to a loved one that you broke. Or maybe you gave God your word and failed to keep it. We've all been there. We've all been in Peter's place. We've all had a time, if not multiple, where we said and with all of our heart wanted to come through, and we didn't. We fail. That's point two. Nothing, nothing fancy, nothing new there. We fail, every one of us. We've all been thrown the ball with the game on the line, and we've dropped the pass. We've been given an opportunity, and we've messed it up. And in those moments, we feel like Peter did. We feel guilty, we feel ashamed, and we wonder, how did this happen? Why did I do this? We feel like a failure. And thankfully, Peter's story doesn't end here. It doesn't end with this denial of Jesus. So we're going to turn back to John and we're going to be in chapter 21. This will be the last text that we're in today and the one where we'll spend a little bit more of our time. But we're going to be in John 21, verse 15 through 22. At this point, Jesus has already been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. And in chapter 21, Peter decides to go fishing. He decides to go back and do what he was doing before he followed Jesus. And some of the other disciples followed their leader, and they went with him. And so what's really interesting is while they're out in this boat fishing, these guys who were fishermen, they weren't, this wasn't just a hobby of theirs. Prior to being a disciple of Christ, this was their livelihood. Uh, they're out on the lake or on the sea, and they're not having any success. They're not catching anything. And so the resurrected Christ comes, and he appears on the shore of the sea, and he calls out to them in the boat, and he says, hey, If you'll take that net and throw it on the other side of the boat, you'll catch a bunch of fish. So they do, and they haul in this load that's, you know, just more than they can barely hold. And John, the author of the gospel, he notices at this point that that the voice of the one on the shore is the voice of Jesus. And so Peter, he was kind of in his undergarments there on the sea doing work, puts on his outer garment and just throws himself in the water and swims to shore. And after that, Jesus has been preparing the disciples a breakfast uh, by the fire, and they, he, when, they, when they get to shore, they, they sit around the fire and eat breakfast with the resurrected Christ. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 15. 
It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is... This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. When I was reading this this week, something stood out to me that I hadn't noticed before. But you notice in verse 15 there, it says, when they had finished breakfast. That's when this this discussion, this conversation happened between the two of them. Um, one of the things that you see as you, as you study kind of the historical context of, of uh, Jesus and, and, and ancient Jewish culture is that sharing meals with people was a way that mealtime kind of determined who one's friends were. You only ate with people that you accepted and that you, you liked. And that's why when the Pharisees would come to Jesus they would say things like, this man eats with sinners. Because it was more than just that he sat at the same table with somebody who was a sinner. It was that he was accepting them. And so what I love about this text is that before Jesus comes and has this conversation with Peter and verbally um, you know, offers, offers friendship and kind of helps him see, you know, that, hey, things are okay between us, before he actually even says anything, he sits down and eats a meal with him and shows and lives out the grace and forgiveness that he has before he even says it. And so here around this, this fire, which is kind of interesting to me because when you think about it, the place where Peter denied Jesus those three times was sitting around a fire. And Jesus comes to the shore and cooks breakfast on an open fire to set the setting, kind of remind Peter, hey, the last time you were around the fire, you dropped the ball. Let's, 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 uh, let's set this, this up to where you kind of remember that and where you remember this moment. I want to cement this in your memory. So I'm going to set the same setting. And then he asked him three times, Simon, do you love me? And each time, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, he, and he's getting grieved, but I believe the point of this is that Peter denied Jesus three times, and here Jesus wants to give him a three-time three uh, you know, discussion on this point, do you love me, so that he kind of sees the connection between the, the two. You denied me three times, I'm going to reinstate you here, and we're going to, we're going to help you see that what, 
is in the past is in the past, and we're moving forward. And so Jesus then adds to that there at the end. I I say to you when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not where you do not want to go, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. The last time he foretold of something Peter would do, he foretold of his denial. And now Peter, or now Jesus says, because of this conversation, because I am reinstating you because I am offering you forgiveness and I am not through with you. Those words I said to you that you're my rock and you are are Peter, you are a rock and I'm going to build my church, those are still true. And they're so true that you're going to actually die for me. So don't think that your discipleship, don't think that your relationship with me ended when you denied me. We're moving forward now. And this is so true Your friendship with me is actually so strong, and it's going to progress from here to the point that you're going to actually die for me. And then, on the heels of all of that, he says what he said to Peter when they first met, follow me. There's no doubt in Peter's mind at this point that the slate has been cleaned, that the denial has been forgiven, that they are starting anew, and his failure has been taken care of. They're moving forward. The thing that I love about this story, I mean, it's, it's obvious that what Jesus is doing is he's forgiving Peter for the denial, that he's offering him grace, offering him uh, you know, reconciliation in spite of the fact that Peter has failed him. That, that's, that's beautiful, but what I think really, really stands out to me is that Peter didn't come looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for him. Peter went back to fishing. He's confused. He's full of grief. He's full of guilt. He's full of shame. And he's just out there doing what he knows how to do. And Jesus comes and seeks him out, offers him a meal of friendship, and then reinstates him and extends the forgiveness that he needs. This story is really, really good news for us. And the reason why it's really good news for us is that we're like Peter. We underestimate our ability to fail, and we fail, and we fail again and again and again. And all throughout that, Jesus never gives up on us. He comes after us. In the midst of our failures, Jesus doesn't fail. He never fails. In the midst of our failures, Jesus never fails. So there's nothing we can do, there's nothing that we can get involved in that would put us beyond his reach, that would put us outside of his love, outside of his mercy and grace. And just like Peter, God pursues us even when we're not pursuing him. God pursues us even when we're not pursuing him. It doesn't matter what we do, what we get caught up in. God still 
pursues us. He still extends his love and his invitation to be with him, to know him, and to love him, be loved by him. So it doesn't matter, you know, maybe, maybe we have a season of life where we really stray really, really far, and we get involved in some stuff, and our heart goes to a place that we never thought imaginable. Even in that place, God still pursues us. Even in that place, his love and his grace is still real for us. Jesus never stops pursuing us, even when we fail. His love is unfailing. Peter's story didn't end around that first campfire when he denied Jesus three times. And Michael Vick, his story didn't end when he was in prison. After serving 21 months in prison in 2009, Michael Vick got another chance when the Philadelphia Eagles signed him and reinstated him the third week of their season. In February of 2010, they put their franchise tag on him, and he signed a six-year, $100 million deal shortly thereafter. It's really interesting. Friday morning, I'm on my, on a treadmill, I mean, uh, on the uh, stationary bike at the gym, and on the ESPN, uh, up on the TV, there's Michael Vick in training camp throwing passes to some of his teammates. And I actually took the time, I went and looked at some of his stats this week. And what's interesting is Michael Vick's best season was one of these seasons. I think it was either his first or second season after he got out of prison. What you may or may not know is that one of the key people in Michael Vick's second chance in the NFL was Tony Dungy. And Tony Dungy was the coach of the 2006 Super Bowl champion Indianapolis Colts. And he's now, I believe, a Sunday night football TV analyst. But Tony Dungy took Vic under his wing and became his mentor. And he did that because Tony Dungy is actually a strong, strong Christian, and he, and he believes and lives out the grace and love of Christ. He actually is a friend of Tony Evans, the pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, and they've done like some men, men's conferences together. But what you see in, in Tony Dungy mentoring and, and extending grace to Michael Vick is that he himself understood grace. He had received that from God. He had experienced the unfailing love of Christ. And having experienced that, he saw a man who was in a bad place. And he saw somebody from his line of work, his, you know, career, who was, whose life was in ruin. And he decided to go and invest in him and show him the same love that he had received from God. And I really, really believe that Michael Vick wouldn't be where he is today without the love and grace that he received from Tony Dungy. No matter where you are today, no matter what your life has been like up till this point, God is pursuing each and every one of you. He loves each and every one of us, and he has pursued us through his son, through Christ's death on the cross, 
and he's given us an opportunity to be reconciled to him, to be forgiven, to see our guilt and our shame taken away forever, and our hope, to be given true hope, hope that will last. And our choice today is to continue to live in the shadow of that failure and just sit in guilt and shame or to be accepted by God and receive the love and grace that he wants to show us. And so I believe the way that we, what we should do with our failure, the way that we can overcome it is to find freedom from our failure in the unfailing love of Jesus. Find freedom from failure in the unfailing love of Jesus. He longs for us to know him, to experience the grace and mercy that he can give. And then I think there's another response that's appropriate for us today. I think there are some of us in this room who we've experienced that forgiveness, that that freedom that God gives And I believe that what God wants us to do is not keep that experience and that grace that we've received to ourselves. He wants us to extend it to others. And so my question, really, for each and every one of us this morning is this. If you think of it in light of Tony Dungy and Michael Vick, Tony Dungy went and mentored Michael Vick, and it made all the difference in Michael Vick's life. So here's my question for you. Who... Who is the Michael Vick in your life? Who is the Michael Vick in your life? Who is the one that God is calling you to take the grace and the love that you've received from him and to show it to them? Who's that person? Because I believe God wants each and every one of us to bring the unfailing love of Jesus to those that we know who have failed. He is inviting us today to bring the unfailing love of Jesus to those who fail. Perhaps you have a neighbor whose life is in ruins. Perhaps his wife has left him and he sees his kids every other weekend because of his unfaithfulness. Maybe God wants you to bring his unfailing love to him. Or maybe you have a coworker who made a mistake in their past and they just can't let it go. It haunts them day after day. Maybe you have a family member who hears a promise that they broke playing in their head like a broken record. And what they desperately need is to know that they are not a lost cause, that the love and grace of Jesus is strong enough to break through in their hearts. So who is your Michael Vick? Will you bring the unfailing love of Jesus to them this week? As we close this morning, I want to do something just a little different. We're going to have a time of silence, and then we're going to have a little bit of instrumental music before we sing together. And what I want us to do is just kind of take this opportunity to just pause and kind of sit under what the Lord has been communicating to us today. Some of us need need to just hear, and we need to just allow the Lord to drive into our hearts the message that his love and his pursuit of us never ends and that no matter how far we've gone, he is still chasing after us and that his love for us is still very, very real. 
And then others of us, I want us just to close our eyes maybe and to sit under that question. Who is your Michael Vick? Who is in your life that desperately needs to know that even though they have failed, their story is not over? Who is that? Maybe we should just close our eyes until God brings a face to mind, maybe a couple of faces. But who is that person for you? As we, as we just kind of sit here today, I just ask you to, to be still before the Lord. I want to close this morning with a prayer. It's actually a quote from a prayer from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. I heard this quote about a year and a half ago, and God just kind of undid my heart with this, this quote. And uh, I just really, really think it, for, for those of us who may struggle with, you know, the idea that even though I'm a believer, I continue to fall, and how can God forgive me for that? How can God, you know, offer his grace to me again and again? I think this, this really speaks to that. The, the prayer says this, Woe, woe is me that I am a sinner, that I grieve this blessed God who is infinite in goodness and grace. Oh, if he would punish me for my sins, it would not wound my heart so deep to offend him. And this is the line. But though I sin continually, he continually repeats his kindness to me. But though I sin continually, he continually repeats his kindness to me. Let's pray. God, I, I just uh, have to believe that there are some of us this morning that failure follows us like a cloud. It follows us like a shadow. It just we carry it with us everywhere we go and we desperately need to know that you forgive us no matter what it is that we've done, no matter what it is that we've said we would do and then failed to do, no matter what promises we've broken, we don't have to be defined by them. I pray that we would believe the words of this prayer that though we sin continually, you continually repeat your kindness to us. I pray for my friends this morning, if anybody's in that place, Lord, I just pray that you would shine into their darkness with the grace and truth of your love. I pray that they would know that your heart is not one of hatred, but one of love towards them, that you are not looking down on them as as though their story is over, but that it is still going and that you want to redeem, you want to restore, you want to reconcile them to, the, to yourself. I pray that. And for the rest of us, Lord, that may not be in that spot this morning, maybe we have tasted of your, your forgiveness, your, your love, your grace. We've been reconciled to you. Lord, I know that there are people in each and every one of our lives who desperately need to know that truth. 
They desperately need to meet your son. And I pray that you would show us who those people in our lives are and that you would lay somebody specifically on our hearts, that we would see them as desperately in need of your love and that you would help us see that we have a part to play. We can be the one who brings the good news to them, who models it for them, who shows them that we love them with the love of Christ day after day, and that over time, Lord, or maybe immediately, who knows, I just pray that that you would use us to see people reconciled to you, to see people who are wallowing in guilt and shame from their past, the sins and failures that they've committed, that that they would know what it is to have forgiveness, to have hope. Lord, help us just to, to, to be still before you and to allow you to just speak to our hearts as we end our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.